If you had to name that gospel reading, you could call it the call to the crowd. And we heard the call of Abraham. Abraham's call is this, I will make you an ancestor. Adam Grant writes that one of our mistakes is to solely face the past and not to remember that we are deciding right now, all of us, what kind of ancestor we will be. How will they remember us in future generations? What are we doing for them? And not legacy, but ancestor. Like the ones who decided to build a house for God right here, or organize a painting or another hall, or buy parking lots. The ones who fed the hungry, or built a bank, or a bank of food. Or is it that you were kind or curious or always yourself or the first to have that facial expression and that hair in this family? What kind of ancestor are you called to be? The Bible tells us today who our ancestor Abraham was. And yes, our ancestor. Jews and Muslims call back to Abraham, the father of Isaac and Ishmael, as at least a spiritual ancestor. And the Bible tells us the same as well. Paul writes of Abraham, our ancestor, to tell us something about ourselves. Paul says that we children of Abraham, we are children of Abraham because of who we are, because of our ancestor, can follow Jesus and will follow Jesus, leaving behind everything we knew to follow. Abraham literally packs up and goes. Our ancestor was a wandering Aramean, is another way Abraham is described in the Bible, a seeker and a traveler, Wherever you are on your journey, we say, remembering where we have come from. We know about seeking, we are saying. That God that buzzed in Abraham's ear promises only one thing, one remarkable thing. I will make you an ancestor. Or was he saying, brother, face the future. Remember, you will be an ancestor. Or is it telling us, you and me, that people, even our own people, have roamed this earth this already ancient story was written down by those exiled scholars in Babylon so that the reader would be sympathetic to those who find themselves roaming the earth in their time and now in our time, seeking refuge or stability, crossing our man-made borders and throwing themselves at the mercy of governments like Abraham. Remember Abraham and the Pharaoh? The image in my mind is of Abraham and his camels and sheep and goats and tents trekking through Central America, that's what I've been seeing all week, and ultimately crossing through the Rio Grande. What a mess that would be. How treacherous it actually is today. Maybe finding the old traces of the Comanche Trail along the way, the old, old roads, that mile-wide path that connected the Americas. But let's be super clear. We just read a story like that beginning today. But our story takes place in the ancient Middle East, where an old man whose family life is over, a wealthy old man, hears a call from God to go and to take everything with him and start again. And Paul says that like him, we too have been asked to go and follow Jesus. Jesus says it more directly and pointedly. While Abraham's promise is a heritage of a family that becomes a people or a nation, Jesus' second call, is what we heard today, is a call to his disciples and to everyone else. Have a look at it again. He calls everyone, the whole crowd, all of those who were healed or waiting to be healed or glommed on because a crowd walked by, all of the ones listening to his stories. He calls you through time and says, not just follow me, which is plenty to consider this Lent, 
but take up your cross and follow me. Now that is a twist. Take up your cross. People ask why some evangelical Christians like the Justice of the Supreme Court in Alabama this week insert themselves and their faith in our public life and our political life. It is because of verses like this. The cross is a symbol of government, of the Roman Empire in particular. Jesus is literally saying, his way will bring you up against the powers of the day. And so Christians are called to interpret the times, we say, to consider how the world works in our time and place and what following Jesus means within it. Now there's a lot of interpreting you can do and you see that in our public life, people have different opinions. So let's be super clear. We um, are not a tradition that says we should live in a theocracy and we are not a Christian nation by definition. We are a constitutional democracy, a pluralistic, diverse, secular nation founded to be that, which means we have no national religion. We are a nation in which the majority of people identify as Christian, and I'm a Christian, right? So we have an understanding as Christians of how social justice works or should work, and I believe we are called to pursue that in our communities. But that is very different than interpreting the Constitution through the lens of the Bible or theology. Jesus does not say, go ye out therefore and establish Christian nations. Even Paul does not go that far. Jesus says, take up your cross, which is, take up, which is like saying, take up your electric chair or book your room in jail. Another way to say that, as Kelly Brown Douglas does, is to stand with the crucified classes, or as the psalmist says, God does not, does not despite the poor for being poor, so neither shall we. I think what that means is there have always been people who are more, more vulnerable to the law, to government, to arrest or imprisonment, even death. To be very clear, because our government set things up that way, it is not natural, people are made poor. Jesus makes himself one of the vulnerable people. He takes up his cross and he goes to the cross. The Bible says to them, I am with you. And to us, see the world through those eyes. So I was looking at, um, at the New Yorker online, as I do sometimes, and was very surprised to see a story about someone I know. I'm not cool like that, that I read the New Yorker and read stories about people I know. Um, but there was a story about Ruben Garcia in this last week's edition, I think, or at least it came up for me this week. Ruben Garcia founded Annunciation House in El Paso about 50 years ago. And I, I've heard him tell his story, but I learned a lot about it in this article. What it said was that as a young adult, he was very active in his Catholic parish in El Paso, and he was a leader in youth work in his 20s, and he felt called to something more. So he began a discernment group with his friends, and I know we have some of that energy in this church as well. And after a long time of discerning and studying and discussing together, very much influenced by the Catholic worker movement and the now saint Dorothy Day in New York, he struggles with the same question that we have today, that psalm, God does not abhor the poor in their poverty, Garcia notes, but we are not them. He said, I am not poor. Who is? And in his context, in El Paso, it was migrants, he decided. So he worked with the city and got one floor of a building to offer some shelter. So to get people inside, and Sister Norma Pimental on the other side of the Texas border did, was doing the same through Catholic charities. So Mr. Garcia, a layman who I think would fit in right here at St. Luke's, his next step was he wrote to Mother Teresa, of course, just go to the top, right? He wrote to Mother Teresa herself for help in what to do next in this crisis. 
And she wrote back saying, which is amazing, she wrote back, now that you have the space, let everyone know the good news. So he named it Annunciation House for Mary's Good News. And there they have provided shelter and food and volunteers, all voluntary, no government funding, living together, figuring out how to serve these extremely vulnerable people. Take up your cross. Do you see the difference between standing with those who are vulnerable to the law and making more people vulnerable to the law? Can you hear the difference between liberating and empowering or restricting or even oppressing? It's close. Some would say stay out of all of these areas. It is very tricky ground. But Jesus says today, take up your cross. He doesn't say follow me to the desert forever. And if he did, we would and some do. Jesus stands in the middle of the religious and political worlds of his time and shows us what integrity as a descendant of Abraham looks like for him. And it is so compelling that we have all agreed that we will follow. But let's remember what that means. So you might remember my Ola story. I'll probably tell it to you again because I love it. And it happens at Annunciation House. Right? They were just written up in the New Yorker, the Annunciation House in the New Yorker. So I was there a few years ago at, at Annunciation House in El Paso. Our own Lauren Holder was there from the Diocese of Atlanta, and our own canon for Latino ministries here in the diocese was also there, Juan Sandoval. We organized the trip from Trinity Wall Street when I was in New York, and I was very eager to visit Annunciation House. I'd heard about it, so I made it the first stop because I thought someone as brilliant as Mr. Garcia could orient us to what actually happens at a border to help us understand. So as we arrived, Ruben Garcia was getting a text and told us that it was Border Patrol who was texting him, and they texted him when groups were being released from detention um, to be, begin the process of being reunited with their families while waiting for their hearings. So after the text, the buses would arrive. It's a very small part of town this is all happening in. And Mr. Garcia would organize more buses on his side to make sure that everyone was going to the right place to sleep for the night and start to work on getting their bus tickets the next day to wherever it is they were going. So volunteers started to arrive to prepare food, and it was like clockwork. Clearly, they had done it before. All church folks, they put out the tables and chairs and told us that we they would need our chairs for the meal, so we stood up. And I think all of us, stunned by how fast this was happening, we had just come to El Paso. And then these families started to walk in. And they were all from Guatemala, we were told, sunburned and exhausted, carrying bags and children, I'm sure having no idea what to expect as they walked into that room. And we all silently moved out of the way and into the entryway and to the doors, and some going off to get the socks and the supplies that we had brought. All of us, rectors from around the country, people that often feel like we know what we're doing, especially when people need help quietly facing away from one another, looking out the windows, shocked by our proximity, the long journeys on the faces of those migrants, our knowing of the realities of our country and what a tough journey it would remain for them, for they are poor. My memory is that we, or at least I, was in a little bit of a daze as a young man with his little daughter walked through. He smiled a little bit, kind of timid as he passed by, and she was little, really little, and looked around at all of us as you would, curiously, and said, hola, which means hello, hola, to all of us. How civilized. That child welcomed all of us, or was it reminded all of us to welcome her? Hola, we all started to, to say to her, smiling, laughing, 
greeting them in the little bit of Spanish that we had, our voices found, ground beneath our feet restored, arms open, curiosity restored, false cross on our backs let down because she carried her so lightly, so true. We were to stand with her, not be defeated by the history and fights that we knew. We are her ancestor. Now 2024 has been a wild year already. The children of Abraham are at war. The horrifying illegal ongoing slaughter of tens of thousands of Palestinians. The Israeli hostages held now since October 7th. The turning of siblings and neighbors to enemies. There is no theological right to govern for only a few. We care always and discern our care starting with the most vulnerable because the Bible warns us it is easy to despise them, to ignore their needs or make them a crime, to give them a cross. In this season, we stand alongside those who carry crosses. So let us discern carefully and with hearts of love because this is Jesus's way. Like his ancestor Abraham, listening for the call of God in his life, falling on his face in awe, and packing up his tents to find his way, across deserts and rivers, across borders and through struggle, questing and questioning, even his own family who had come with him all of this way, and at times finding himself dining with angels. Jesus calls us today with a part two, and this Paul names as perfect freedom. Maybe immigrants are the perfect example of this. If you have moved, I'm sure you remember that feeling of stepping into an unknown future, committing to an unseen way of living, maybe even an unknown language, and the food, biscuit, or cornbread, who could decide? Take up your cross. You will know what it is. Do not be afraid. God will not despise you, but calls you to the future, God's future. It is a future of love and joy and delight for everyone, and in it, you will find perfect freedom.